0: If I do
1: that, can you hear me? Hmm. Oh, there we go. Am I there actually? We
2: are.
1: Can you actually hear me? Did I just ramble? I can, I can, and nobody can hear
3: you now. Oh
1: my god. How. Hear you. If, How embarrassing for me. I was just doing in my defense, I know nobody cares. Everybody's got their 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 issues. I was just doing kids bedtime. I forgot to turn my headphones off. I'm very sorry. Well we're off to a great start with Spike Eskin of the Rights of Ricky Sanchez podcast. Uh, NBA populists like Samus Fendiari and Eddie Lou, who we recently had, only from the Sixers direction, the Philly direction. How you doing, man?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic, especially that you're here, and I finally understand uh, why I was screwing up the beginning of this here live podcast. For those who don't know, if it's your first time, you can get in the queue, ask questions. We're going to riff on a few subjects, Uh, jump on in whenever, queue up whenever. Now, uh, Spike, the reason uh, I wanted to have you on, one of them, frankly, there were many, but one of them, I, I was listening to your podcast seeing some of your criticisms. The criticisms of Doc Rivers are very interesting to me. Um, for And I think part of it is this. I've become an NBA normie, Spike. I've become an NBA normie uh, yeah. since leaving the coverage of the Warriors. And so sometimes I, I'm just trying to catch up. I'm trying to get a sense of things. And I feel like nobody nobody's telling me the real shit. And your takes on Rivers as totally checked out uh, crabby, combative with the media, these are things the national press, as far as I know, have not been telling me, and so I just think that 's something uh worth riffing on and digging into. I want your perspective on doc rivers
0: yeah it's wild like um, in general i don 't really like talking about coaches all that much uh, in the nBA because it feels like the criticisms are like the game day criticisms are neither here nor there if the if the team like if the players don't hate him and he's not preventing them from winning a championship then like what are we really talking about like let's talk about the players um but this has been a pretty lost season for the Sixers in general and when they signed Rivers the big thing was like well finally they got somebody who's going to hold every, hold everyone accountable. That's, that's, that was like the whole line. And they got a championship coach and all this. And I remember saying when they signed him, I'm like, you're talking about a guy who canceled practice to go golfing. Like that, <laughs> that, like that that's what we're talking about. That's, and I'm not saying that you can't win a title with them. I guess theoretically you could, right? If you had the right players, but this is not Mr. Accountability. And it feels like what happened to me was the the Sixers, you know, he, he left or he got fired. The Sixers owners needed something, needed a big hire. They overwhelmed him with money. And all of a sudden he's caught in the middle of not just this sort of like weird fucked up Sixers situation from a like a personnel standpoint, but in the middle of COVID with a A press corps that like Philly is pretty intense, you know, mm. and he just comes off to me as like somebody who doesn't want to do this but also doesn't want to give up the eight million dollars or whatever he's getting paid and mm. and and the way that he's talked to media and trust me man i'm not Mr Stand up for the media guy it's not not my even though i'm I work in the media, but i'm not. You know, stand
1: I, I up for the both of us. Guy. Both of us mostly hate the media. I mean, we love individual <laughs> right. media members, but the media right. mostly hate.
0: Yeah, th- especially like the 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 journo part of it. Like the 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 people who aren't admitting that what we're doing is very silly in in mm. general. Like they take it serious, but the way that he sort of berates mostly fine reporters for asking normal questions. Like last year, every time somebody asked him about Ben Simmons shooting, he would just be like, you guys just don't seem like you've played basketball. <laughs> like, you know, or, or you're worried about all that stuff. I'm worried about all the great stuff he does. And it was just like, <laughs> Doc, that, that seems like bullshit. You know, and then this year, when he, when he crushed... Keith Pompey, who asked, the Sixers had played four or five teams who had been missing almost all of their starters. And they either lost to them or, or just barely beat them. And they had just barely beaten the Raptors, who didn't have anybody. And the question was, are you concerned that against these teams that are missing so many players, you guys aren't, you know, you're, you're struggling to win when you win at all. And he was like, he did the NFL thing. Every team in this league is hard to beat. You know, any win, you got to be happy with any win. Keith, you just don't seem like you play basketball very much. That's a, a <laughs> dumbass question. And like, huh. you don't you don't talk that way to to somebody publicly unless you're trying to embarrass them, you know, and prevent them from doing yeah. it again. And it's just like this weird intimidation bit. And it's um, I don't know. It just seems like it's just bad form, just awful form, like bad way to treat somebody who, on
1: some level, you're in it with, you know. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. And it comes absent much criticism, which is interesting. I mean, that's the reason I wanted to bring it up. I like some of these issues. I like I know fans can get a little bored of media or just annoyed with media if they're portraying themselves as victims in a situation like this. I like looking at it from a different perspective and more what's going on here as far as when does the media stick up for itself and when does it not? It's possible that Doc Rivers just has too much gravitas to really stand up to him, that it's a little bit like Greg Popovich. Um, Additionally, what's interesting about it to me is it's so prickly, and whenever I'd be at a Clippers game back in the day when he coached the Clippers, it was the opposite. It was giving the press a belly rub. It was, hey, that's a great question, Spike. That's an excellent question. That's a great question, and he would answer the question. So I think It speaks to what you're saying, that he's checked out, he was paid too much money to turn it down, and now he's in this particular situation where, in theory, it's title or bust, but they've got the Ben Simmons mess. He insulted Ben Simmons, who was perhaps deserving of the insults, but that didn't seem to make the situation any better. Um, And yeah, it seems like nobody has much of a, a problem with it outside of the Philly area, as far as I can see. Well, and the other thing that happened that I'm, I'm sure plays into this a
0: little bit and certainly into the like the close relationship with the press is that we're talking about a press who he's never really been physically close to, you know, in, in the two years he's been here. It it mm. was, you know, for a while, it's people on a screen who are just annoying him, basically. Yeah. Um, and anyone who, you know. Uh, for me, I you know I, I work in New York now and worked in Philly for the the first part of this at a radio station and through COVID, all of our hosts in Philly came to work, uh, and I I went to work with them too, and but a lot of my work was on Zoom, and I would always say this thing where the the reason I like in I do like in person work so much is that when all of your work is remote. The only relationship that you have with the people that you work with is this transactional relationship where every time you talk to them, you're getting, you're doing something right. there's, There's no, there's no like, you know, punch in the arm, shot in the ribs, like, Hey, isn't this funny? Or just hanging out. Everything is getting work done. So every time you see one of these people, all it does is remind you that you have to do something. But when you're in person with them, there's a real relationship. And I think it's really possible that not only are all these things about Doc that we said true, but here are a group of people who he has no relationship with, Mm, you know? And it's very easy to get irritated in
1: a high-pressure, irritating situation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very perceptive point. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because those dynamics, I don't think, are are getting talked about. We're just performing this grand experiment on everybody in society without exactly knowing Exactly knowing what happens. And uh, it's strange to see the NBA try to implement safety measures sort of haphazardly uh, playing it by ear. I mean, I'm not saying that I would know what to do if I were running the league, but there's something funny about the security theater of it all of these coaches who have the mask down beneath the nose, but then sometimes it's not. And then sometimes they take it off to yell And it's, I, I don't even know what the, the, what function this is really uh, performing right here. And that's just one of many of these strange ways that the entire dynamic has been altered.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, the it's, I think if you were to not just, this is a good way that, that sports is a reflection on life, because I think you could say the same thing with everyday life. But if yeah. you were to three years ago or two years ago prior to all this show us what basketball looked like right now with Mm. like sometimes a team will have 12 players unable (laughs) to play and are still (laughs) playing the game (laughs) and and the reason for this you would explain to this person who doesn't and i'm not criticizing the nba i want to be clear like we're all trying to navigate this COVID so that thing. comes Nobody later knows. in the segment. The criticism yeah, will yeah, come later. Yeah. But this one, I'm not. So imagine, not only are you telling you from three years ago that this team is playing without 13 of their players and they're still able to play somehow, but the reason is because of this highly transmissible uh, airborne uh, respiratory illness, and you look at the, the crowd, and you're like, well... <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. And then you look at the players and the coaches and like your question would be like, but I thought you said there was a highly transmissible, dangerous <laughs> respiratory illness. Like, yeah, that's why all the that's why all the players are out. Or well, the players yeah. sick. Well not really.
1: Yeah. Absent but, two years yeah. of viral kabuki, it would be very difficult yeah. to get your mind around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it is, it is very strange uh, in a a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and back to the Sixers thing, I think the other weird, super weird dynamic here is that Doc was hired before Maury was hired.
2: Mm. And,
0: and I'm not sure it's debatable, I guess, but I'm not sure they knew that they were going to be able to hire Daryl. I'm not sure that Daryl would have hired Doc. And I also believe that they gave Doc um, more, I don't know if it's written down or what it is, but I believe they gave Doc more power than a normal head coach would have under Daryl Morey. And then they hired Daryl Morey. So there's also this dance of, there's this power dance probably going on with what Doc has a say in and what Daryl has a say in and the yours and mine kind of stuff. And I think that also is like, is
1: part of the, the awkwardness of the situation.
0: I could yeah. be wrong
1: there. That that's me. Well, there's about, grading, there's about a 95% chance you're right. Um, without knowing anything about the situation, because it always goes south between the coach and the GM in the NBA. That's just the natural dynamic, the natural way of things. And if anybody uh, wants to queue in and have any questions, as we have our conversation, by all means, do it, we'll take them throughout. But yeah, coaches, GMs, if it's not absolutely copacetic, it's generally going to go bad. And if it's a situation where they both are uh, big personalities who are are accustomed to being listened to, uh, it's hard to see it going any other way. But speaking of Maury and the Sixers, uh, this situation has just been in the background for a while. But I, I find it bizarre. Um, That's the Ben Simmons situation. And I'm I'm curious as to your takes on now for anybody listening in, not a big NBA fan, not a big sports fan. God damn it. How do I even do the expository (laughs) for a thing like this? I just realized (laughs) most things, most things I can just explain in a sentence or two. But now as I think about it, how the hell would I explain this one to your fan from three years ago?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's like every Sixer situation is, all right, let me start with when this guy got drafted, you know, like four years ago. It is a, a hard, I guess the short version is that their second best player decided he didn't want to play here anymore after failing pretty spectacularly in the playoffs, but has four years left on his contract and is refusing to report to camp um, and sort of vaguely, vaguely saying that there is some sort of mental issue preventing him from doing it. Is that a a fair explanation of what's going
1: on? That's as good a summary expository as can be done. Now, on a more granular level, when I did a story on this a few weeks ago uh, from my just, you know, digging around on it, what I could tell is that the NBA wanted Maury and the Sixers to play hardball. Uh, yeah. with Ben Simmons and say look we're going to keep fining you if you don't participate but what's interesting to me about that is this the nba didn't want to know didn't want anybody to know the nba yeah. didn't want anybody to know that they were behind the sixers in opposing Ben Simmons and his very ambitious agent Rich Paul they didn't want to be the bad guy they wanted the sixers to be the bad guy to which i say Why? What's the point of that? What's the point of that? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And to try to tie it into Doc Rivers, to try to tie it into Adam Silver, um, look back to 2014, I think back to it because in a way, I almost think that Adam Silver learned the wrong lesson from the big success uh, when he was introduced to the world. Um, And as probably anybody listening remembers, There was Donald Sterling, the owner of the Clippers, uh, known to be a racist, and there was uh, a leaked tape of him talking with his mistress, his girlfriend, I don't even know what, Uh, saying a bunch of crazy racist shit, and Adam Silver banned him for life, it echoed when he said it, I remember, in the press conference. Now, that resulted in a tsunami of media praise, um, and I almost think that... The lesson he learned from it is do whatever the players want, be perceived as I'm in the player's corner, and that's the best path for me. When I think one of the reasons beyond it being on the right side of social justice or whatever you want to consider it, one of the reasons it resonated and people liked it is it was firm leadership. It was a, a, a sense that somebody was in charge, that someone was setting boundaries. So when you just step back on the sidelines, and you have something you want to happen, you have a clear vision, you don't want Ben Simmons to uh, try to completely nullify the meaning of contracts for everybody in the NBA, there's nothing wrong with just putting that on your chest and communicating that and saying this is how it's going. It's very odd to me that he does these half measures. So that's my thought in that situation.
0: So I agree that it is actually something that I had speculated on the pod that the, that the Sixers, that, that it was important for the Sixers from a league perspective to stand up to this egregious a situation. Like, obviously, over the last several years, from the Anthony Davis one to the Harden one, you had situations that I think were bad, but more explainable and less bad than the Simmons one. But the problem with the NBA, I think with the and I think you make a really good point with the the feedback that he received from the Donald Sterling thing, which I think was the right thing to do, even if you could argue the other way, that sort of like questionable. I I think there were probably some questionable decisions there, but definitely the right thing to do is that they. Much like a, a lot of media people, the NBA seems firmly entrenched in believing that Twitter is the real world. Yes. And, and like, th- there is a portion of people uh, who exist on Twitter who have learned about labor through <laughs> the lens of pro sports, which is labor, but is not like an electrician's
1: union. It's different. <laughs> Like, it's not Did they TV learn yet. about it through the lens of pro sports or did they go to a DSA meeting and then try to map that onto the fucking NBA, which is crazy? <laughs> well,
0: I, it could be, maybe a little of both. It could have been both of those things. So I think, like, the idea that someone – like, a contract is an agreement. Like, when people talk about players having agency and breaking their contracts – that's not, what that, like, that's not what labor is about. Like, that's not what collective bargaining is about. It's not about signing, a, agreeing to a deal, deciding you don't like it and then breaking it. But, yeah. for some, but somehow online, that's what that is. And I think the NBA, and they could learn not everything, but the NFL like, sort of doesn't give a fuck about that stuff. And they, they have this stomach for having one or two days of bad reaction the result that they prefer and the nba doesn't have that stomach and i think that's why they would rather the team be the bad guy like this whole ben simmons thing we're gonna find you like oh but we have a a mental issue like i i think a lot of that almost seemed like a uh like a choreographed dance between Mm. rich paul and daryl morey and the nba like you, you know what i mean like we don't really want you to come back, but we can't say we don't want you to come mm. back, but we really can't pay you for this. We can't say, we, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. not, not that they all sat in a room and agreed to it, but I think everybody knew how this was going to end. And eventually they got to a point where he's, qu- nobody even knows if he's getting paid or not. Right. Mm. I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if he's going fine. find I mean, mean, there might be an escrow situation. Who the who the hell knows? Um, It's God, it's a ugly situation. It's it's just fascinating to see what he's going through uh, or really putting himself through. And also, I will say this. We might make the standard criticisms of media, but I don't think the media really took his side on this. I don't think they were snookered by it in the way they might be easily emotionally manipulated. It was too far. It was too much yeah yeah it was this was pretty egregious
0: you know like this was i've never seen anything like it and i didn't believe this maybe three months ago and you're talking to somebody who i've wanted that guy traded for a couple of years now but and i didn't believe this a couple months ago but as the more i think about the simmons thing and i know this isn't like the angle we were taking but like this is this is so much different than the harden and ad things that i don't think he really realizes what he's in for where he wherever he goes where he goes like i no. think he thinks that the problem not being in philadelphia will solve his problem but he's going to be at 41 away games every year where they know what his problem is yeah and and at, like not every team is going to put him on the line but some teams are and those crowds in those places are going to obliterate him, and if this is not something that he can stomach like it's it's a
1: possibility he's not like playing in the n b a in four years and three years well, you know? well and that and that's where it gets a little fuzzy because the mental health issue is an excuse, but there's something i don't know if we call it the yips i don't know what we call it, but there's something there it's not completely untrue and fabricated i don't think he's in a happy place right now right um so yeah um well we have questions we have questions or at least one question from eric i'll call him up see if i do this actual you know actually properly make next caller wait oh, out to mute. Cool.
3: yeah it's cool i like this i like yeah. this app eric how you doing good good thanks thanks for having me uh me able to call in here, Ethan and Spike, uh, longtime listener of uh, Rice Ricky Sanchez. Good to hear you guys talking about Ben Simmons. I'm a season ticket holder of the Sixers, and I, I guess I have two questions for you guys, um, and I was curious your thoughts. By my count, Ben Simmons is now at like 10 or $11 million fine. And the first question is, do you think he's going to actually get any of that money back? And then if the answer is no to that, how much money is he willing to lose, especially if this goes past the trade deadline? I'll, uh, I'll hang up and listen. (laughs)
1: I'm just basing it. I'm just basing it off, uh, the home prices or the home purchases that I've seen on the internet. Uh, Ben Simmons doesn't exactly seem, what is the word for it? Uh, I'm looking for words like profligate. But he doesn't seem like he's been squirreling away all his money, I guess is what I'm trying to say right now, um, for this particular storm that he is enduring. Uh, That's about all I know. I'm not sure how they're going to handle the money. Again, it seems like there's so much sensitivity as far as getting into a fight with the players union or getting into a fight over this whole thing and the lawsuits. So I'm not sure. Maybe it's something I should dig around in. What do you think, Spike? I read
0: somewhere when they did this, that the money he misses for the games, whatever team trades for him, cannot give him that money. But I have to figure that they're going to fake a way around that. Like they're going to figure out a way around that. And I, He's never coming back and playing. So how much money is he willing to give up? He's never playing for the Sixers again. I am almost, I was going to say I'm almost certain he'll be gone by the deadline, but I guess I'm not.
1: I think he's willing to sit out the entire season. And I, mean, be- I don't know, he, surprises, surprises abound. Kyrie Irving yeah. played tonight, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe. God, it would be yeah. quite a hyped game. Uh, yeah. Make it an ABC game. I'd like to oh. see it.
0: Oh. Well, and I feel bad for Philly because if they've ever – if there's ever been a situation where they're allowed to be – to viciously boo one of their own players, they would be allowed to do that with this. But I – it would look so ugly. Like whenever he plays in
1: Philly – you remember what it was like when LeBron went back to Cleveland. It's like, very ugly. It'll look
0: like that. And that's Yeah, what it's it was – like.
1: It, 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 in some ways, I think the media has overcorrected because of the ugliness that followed the decision. And yeah. uh, it's oddly not discussed too much, but some of what went on in the aftermath of that uh, really went too far. But JF, JF on a, I like making up I like making up cities, uh, JF on a landline in Hayward. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll call him up to do this.
0: Is this not your, that's word. your sports
1: radio? That's your sports yeah. radio bit. I Think I JF it. might be from Canada, actually.
4: Uh, oh yes, I'm in Canada. Uh, you know, <laughs> locked down here and uh, going crazy. Uh, so, yeah, and, and sorry. I want like to emphasize, like the how the reputation and legacy of Adam Silver is tied to the Sterling decision, which is absolutely mm. absurd. Uh, the media loves to treat it as like a profiling courage, when in truth it's more like hitting a three foot putt. The, mm the stars had aligned perfectly for him to execute that move, right? Like, the owners were fully on board because you had, you know, one of the richest men in the world willing to, like, set a new valuation for an NBA team that was, like, what, a factor of, like, three from the previous record? Like, yeah. just an insane price that all the owners were in to validate, you know, the valuation of their own franchise. You had Sterling, who is who lost power of attorney to his wife and you know couldn't even fight it himself. You had a long list of history of him, you know, being racist and uh, saying fighting with um, other league owners and, you know, executives in his organization. So it was really easy to push him out. Like it's absolutely absurd that, you know, uh, silver is put on this pedestal for making that decision. It was so easy and obvious to do it. Uh But back to the uh, Simmons situation, I'm just curious, how are the players uh, not, like, so angry at Clutch, uh, Rich Paul, for doing this, right? Because no doubt, Mm -hmm. all the owners are sharpening their knives for the next uh, CBA negotiation, and they're going to be pointing to this particular issue and saying, like, we're not getting screwed like this again. We're not paying a player uh, to basically sit on those sidelines and come up with, you know, Almost frivolous uh, excuses not to play or excuses after the fact um well spike his teammates seem
1: pretty pissed off, right his immediate teammates at least yeah i mean i mean you i
0: i'm actually curious about your opinion on it because you wrote the you've done a lot of uh really good agent um agent and reporter writing um over the the last few months, and I am a subscriber i'd like to say ah thank I'm a, you i'm a, a fan and a subscriber um it, his teammates are mad, but I think they're mad in a teammate way, not in a, uh, a labor way. I think that the number of players who probably think about it that way isn't really high. You know, I've been part of organized labor. I deal with organized labor, like with, uh, in, in radio. So I, I don't think that everybody's always thinking strategically as far as collective bargaining goes. Rich Paul is being sued by Nerland's Noel. Um, you know, like Rich Paul doesn't seem like he minds, you know, breaking a few eggs uh, to get what he wants. But I think there's also a possibility that Rich Paul is not entirely
1: in control of this situation as much as he normally would be. You know, I I, think he's a a little bit like he's not Doc Rivers checked out, but I think he ascended so, so fast. Suddenly Vanity Fair, suddenly New Yorker dating Adele I I I think he wants the situation to go well and it's a bit of an embarrassment but it almost seems like I mean being an agent sucks it's a horrible horrible grind and I I do wonder yeah
4: sorry I I think well a A, he's conflicted here right because the person replacing Simmons is uh, a clutch client as well and he's making, you know, a pr- a pretty good resume for a hefty uh, second contract, right, which never would have happened if Simmons was in. So, you know, he has these, con- like, conflicts where I said, it's just very bizarre, this agency game, uh, where they're all kind of uh, almost teammates when they're within an agency, when it should be an ind- individual, uh, you know, client-player relationship or <laughs> client-agency relationship. Uh so there's that but also he I think he wanted a variety of making this huge power play. He expected it to be much smoother than it is right now and he got embarrassed uh you know badly yeah. with how they you know played this from the beginning that I think he's probably reverted into uh you know playing a taking a backseat approach at this point and uh not trying to you know yeah. in the No way. it's
1: it's an embarrassment but it won't matter ultimately is it's almost he was able to build the brand of this before this disaster and this disaster, I don't think is going to uh, unspool the whole thing because there was this big market inefficiency in the agent world, which is that these agencies weren't cool. Um, Wasserman being associated with Wasserman. That's not really cool. Who really, who really cares? Relativity, priority, whatever. It, It didn't, it didn't matter. And so, what Rich Paul seized upon was this idea of, OK, let's make this almost like a lifestyle brand or a secret society. I was hearing why did Levine join Clutch or what was the idea behind him? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to is Levine with Clutch. I'm trying to even yes. remember if that happened. Yes, to yes. sometimes I yeah, yeah. lose track. Uh, but why did he do it? And somebody, a friend of mine asked him. And he just kind of said something about, you know, they can introduce me to some cool people. And so I think that's the perspective a lot of players have on this, uh, especially if they're at the top of the top and they're going to get paid uh, the max anyway. So who cares? It's I'm with the cool team. I'm with the cool people. I'm with the cool brand. I'm not really thinking about the implications in the CBA. That's not really front of mind.
4: And and just a quick quick question before I jump off for both of
0: you. Just one follow up just one quick follow-up to mm-hmm. that to your point about not needing an agent to get this salary, Joel Embiid doesn't have an agent right now. Like Joel Embiid was yeah. with Leon Rose and CAA and, and currently doesn't have an agent. And I think there are times where it's helpful, but, um, but if you're a max level player and they have a limit of the amount of money you can make specifically, and you can only make that money, um, you know, being cool, is it an enormous advantage? Because there's nothing, there's these, they're not making you extra money, you know?
4: Yes. yes. I, and, and that's a great point, because I do wonder why uh, max players, because there's these artificial constructs to the CBA where you can't, you you maximize your salary, and there's no point of uh, having a negotiation, right? Because it's pretty much set for you for star level players. Why would you even give away your 4% or?
0: Well, I, I think to a certain extent, I, I heard Bamani Jones say once um, it was, it was a really good point. Somebody asked him, it was at a, a panel. They're like, why do you have an agent? And he was, he basically said, so I don't have to have like conversations with people about my contract. And, mm. and that, that's a, when you're doing that negotiation with your GM and you're a player, that's not a conversation that the GM wants to have with the player. The player wants to have with no. the GM, you know. And that, those are we're talking about twenty-four-year-old guys, twenty-five-year-old guys. Uh, I, you know, I'm forty-five. I I don't even like having those conversations. And I've been doing it for most of my career now. So I don't. I I think they might not be able to get you the money, but having somebody to have that conversation for you and to look over the paperwork. Maybe you don't need a full agent. Maybe you just need a lawyer. But I I, I think having somebody by your side, if you're making that much money, if you're going to make $150
1: million, what's an extra 5% going to somebody else? It it is funny to think about it as emotional protection. I've negotiated the last two deals that I've signed. um, And you do go in with that trepidation of, What is this going to do to my self-esteem? Suddenly I'm talking with my boss, uh, whoever I'm doing the deal with, about what I'm worth. Is that something I can handle dispassionately and be able to argue for myself? And it's it's not always easy, but we've got Bob. Let's take the next call from Bob, make you the next caller, Bob. Do the thing where I talk until things unmute, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. Hey, Bob.
3: Hi, how are you guys doing? Doing well. well. How you doing? Good. So I remember what Spike was talking about. I think Bomani was talking about the Lamar Jackson, how Lamar Jackson went into the season, whether it started this season or last season, without an agent, and he was the reigning MVP. So people were just like debating, like, does this man really need an agent? He's an injury-prone player in theory because he's like so athletic And yeah, I remember Bomani saying that exact point. It's just like at some point it's just not worth it to like have to deal with this like nonsense when I could just actually live my life. And then I also remember Nate Duncan when he started doing like his agent rankings on the podcast, his like biggest gripe of clutch slash rich paul was that he was always trying to hit home runs and not Mm. take take the single when it's right there. The that's kind of what insane. happened with, yeah, instead of, like, exactly what happened with Nerland's Noel, where he had, what, was it, like, 60, 80 million on the table, yeah. and he was left hungry, and then, so, I wonder what the media aspect of this story kind of has, because it doesn't, see, Spike, you're obviously, like, got your finger on the pulse, and you haven't heard much about whether he's getting paid, and Shams is in theory kind of a clutch guy and he doesn't, he hasn't reported anything on it and clutch doesn't do well with woge. So he's not going to report anything on it. So is there just kind of like a barricade on information uh, actually getting out? I don't know about if that's going to
1: remain with Woj and clutch, uh, <laughs> because Andy Miller is handling a lot of the, uh, I don't even know what to call it. The day to day, the actual contract shit by rumor allegedly allegedly technically he's not allowed to technically he has been banned from doing so um but you know them's the rumors and andy miller uh, has a very strong connect to woge and i think after andy miller signed up with clutch suddenly you started seeing more woge breaks of laker news so i i would just hold my horses there sorry i didn't want to interrupt the general thought thread but i figured it was worth mentioning
3: no, that, that makes sense. I remember hearing about him coming on. But I was just, it's just amazing because it seemed like we were getting like minute-by-minute updates with Simmons, the whole Simmons saga at the start of the season. And then it's just gone straight like radio silence for now three months and we haven't heard anything. Can, so just can seemed- I be
0: honest with you? I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm actually glad. I mean, as somebody yeah. who has to talk about it two times a week and then argue about whether he actually has, a mental illness or not, or are you, it's just, it's a the situation needs to be over. I think when it's done, I would love some sort of retrospective to find out what did happen, but the, yeah, I do miss the old version of journalism and I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a criticism of journalists, it's just the way the internet is now, where when a story had concluded you would find out what happened
2: as mm. opposed
0: to I, when I, I remember being unemployed in oh, 2010 and I had a podcast and I had Chuck Close then on. And I remember asking him about the Joe Paterno thing and uh, because it was being reported, it was right around then, it was being written about as the reporting was coming out and you know that was only 10 years ago or whatever but as far as the internet goes it seems like a lifetime ago and he said that what was happening was sort of like when a a writer at a newspaper would write the first version of a story and the editor would come through and edit it and ask questions and then they would go do some more reporting and write the next version and none of it would be out yet and and after two weeks or three weeks of all this reporting, the final article would come out and everybody would read it. He said that the way news seemed to him then was reading every draft, but making it public. And, yeah. and it's just like sometimes we just don't have, sometimes we just need more, you know? And I think at this point that, that I don't need anything more on the
1: Simmons thing until it's over. I'd love to hear when it's done. I'd love That's to hear happening re- when it's done that's happening repeatedly in, on issues that are far more serious than the sports world. And then what's disturbing on top of it is the media hive mind won't admit they fucked it up in the beginning and they'll just right. run with that frame. It's uh it's an issue, but we've got Dave, Dave on a landline. Can you give me some, some New Jersey, Philly okay. suburbs to uh, put, fill in here, Spike? Is this the thing? <laughs> uh, you, uh...
2: <laughs> so we'll do,
0: we'll do Jersey, North Jersey, cause that's where I am now. So why don't we say, Dave
1: in uh, Union. Dave from a car phone in Union. How you doing, Dave? (laughs) Can Dave unmute? Can you unmute, Uh, Dave?
0: Dave, take us off speaker. Hey, there we go. There you go. go. (laughs) Um,
3: So I feel like when Daryl Mori sent that initial tweet about Hong Kong. Um, You know, it started that huge firestorm and it seemed like there would be all this monetary blowback for the NBA and the salary cap people said would go down. And it became this like sort of apocalyptic thing. Now we have Enos Cantor saying like, a (laughs) 100 times as flagrant things as Daryl Morey tweeted and it kind of seems like no one cares. I mean, outside of the few (laughs) politicians who are kind of like taking, you know, stock of what, what Enos Cantor says, but it seems like from an NBA perspective, I just never hear about, are there consequences of this? Are the Celtics now blacklisted in China? Like what?
1: Yes, they are.
3: Uh, (laughs) Dave, It's a great question. I'm going to pull the doc rivers,
1: uh, Clippers version, not Sixers version where I compliment your question. It's a a (laughs) handsome, beautiful question from Dave. Um, And one I am puzzling over because there was initial reporting, and I quoted this reporting that China was 15% of BRI. That's a huge chunk. But then some people in the know started. Yeah, well, some people in the know started reaching out and saying it's nowhere near that. And then you start getting your spidey sense of, well, is the NBA just some giant money laundering operation where nobody knows where the money comes from (laughs) and what it's supposed to be? (laughs) You know, all I can really say. On that issue is that it 's way less than fifteen percent. I think the entire appeal of it would be that it was going to be some great big pile of money one day that whoever the Clay Davis of this shit was saying, "Hey, the golden faucet 's going to be turned on and just give me you know give me this and give me that um, and so it was all about the future. It was a future play, and now it 's effectively a dead letter, and I think one of the reasons the dead letter, the most underrated reason. And I wrote about this on my uh on my newsletter, House of Strauss. Subscribe today so I can buy uh Ben Simmons <laughs> vacant uh New Jersey mansion. You know, that's the uh, <laughs> that I want the, the Simbo room. Uh but anyway, um it's that China didn't produce any good NBA players. And maybe nobody says that because it sounds rude and sounds dickish to say it. But it's a spectacular failure of human capital. They had, what, 250 academies just devoted to producing NBA players out of China? The entire idea was going to be that we would have a Yao Ming every year. There was a Nike ad, a Jordan Brand ad, where it showed two players in the collision course, one a, a, a black American player, the other a player out of China, and they face off the NBA Finals as the tip-off. The NBA dreamed on this scenario. Adam Silver in twenty nineteen was expressing regret and frustration that they couldn't get any players from China. He was saying they were trying to help them perform better in the Olympics, which I found to be weird. I'm not Mr. Nationalist, but I just I found it to be weird to see the American commissioner of the National Basketball Association uh, crying up there about why China's not doing better in the Olympics. But anyway, um, so what's in it for China? to be in bed with the NBA. We're not really looking at it from their perspective. It's a very nationalistic country. They like projects that foster a sense of nationalism. And that's not really doing the trick to watch Americans play basketball and see that your own countrymen can't compete. So unless it's serving this function of really suppressing what people are saying about China, uh, in the United States uh which China seems to have an interest in, and it doesn 't seem to be doing that effectively enough for them uh with cantor and everybody else i, I just don 't see the future in this, so I feel as though it 's already down the drain i 'm sure some owners are trying to preserve it i 'm sure Adam Silver is trying to preserve it, but I know some smart people in the league who are saying yeah it's it 's done it's it 's
4: over
0: that 's a really good point about um, not the the fact that there aren't Chinese players eventually was going to hurt them with their marketability there anyway. And I hadn't like I hadn't thought of that, you know, that I hadn't even it, considered that. And it, even it's that one
1: question of those about, about it, it's Tanner, like, I'm like. Yeah, wait a minute. What about Edith Scanner? Like, that should be a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a big deal. Uh, I think the Mori was a domino that started knocking over the other dominoes, but the lack of a player from China, I think is the bigger factor um, in why I just don't, and I could be wrong, you know, it's on at the right time of day over there. It, just like soccer is for us, uh, right? Good for your breakfast uh, that, that time of day. But I just don't, I don't see it. And it's for that very prosaic, so stupid that it's almost ignored reason that there just hasn't been uh, there haven't been talented players out of China and uh, not trying to rub their nose in it, not trying to mock them for that. Uh, But 250 Academy, it's really crazy, actually. It's really crazy to think about when you think about some of the players in the NBA, the countries, the far flung countries from Finland. They've got two from Japan. I mean, it's really an amazing failure that I, I think should be discussed more as to what the fuck happened. Why? Why? Why did it turn out this way?
0: Yeah, I mean, how many people are even live in Australia and New Zealand? And it seems like there are, you know, Australians in the NBA. And the, yeah, that's the, that's wild. I had, yeah, hadn't even
1: considered it. Yeah, yeah. Well, China uh, do better. I mean, that would be the baldiest <laughs> thing. Like, imagine a Stephen A. Smith rant on first take on ESPN, Disney, of all things, where he's, he's ripping into them like he would the Knicks about how they've sucked and they've failed to produce a good player.
0: Oh, man. Well, I can tell you House of Strauss definitely not going to get a lot of subscriptions
1: over there, I don't
0: think. Yeah. I don't think it's well, going to be I, – I don't think you're going to have a big growth, uh, big growth opportunity in China for your newsletter at this point.
1: I might not. I might yeah. not. But let's take a call from John. Let's take a call from John. John. On the uh, landline from what are we what uh, are we giving him what town?
0: Let, let's go back to Philly. Let's go Lansdowne.
1: Lansdowne, John. How you doing?
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm actually from NYC. Oh but... shit! Sorry, man. <laughs> That's okay. Um,
1: John from Greenpoint, Brooklyn. No, you're
2: <laughs> Queens, actually, Queens. Ah, there you go. shout out to Waz on the on the call. I see. Oh I yeah. Um. So I wanted to ask, I saw, like, that quote from Russell Westbrook a few weeks ago. He he got asked ask the question something about people's frustration with his play. And he said something like, I know people want me to average a 25, 15, and 15. Something to that effect. And, yeah. I, and everybody just kind of laughed and said, you know, that's kind of the opposite of what we want. And I guess this relates to Ben Simmons, too, because he just... He, he won't shoot anything outside of a layup, and I, I, my question, I guess, is how do these guys lack this kind of self-awareness? Hmm. Uh, it's just I, I just don't understand it in a day when like they're all on their on Twitter on their Twitter feed, like seeing what everybody's saying, and that, that's not like they're just not fixing it. I, I just don't understand.
4: No. I I
1: mean, yeah. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, I was going to jump in and say it's very hard to expose yourself to criticism. Um People struggle with it, and nobody admits how hard it is, or few people do. But I think it's possible. They just really don't. They don't interface with any of it. Steph Curry is a sicko who will look at it at halftime to motivate himself. But I think they have handlers. They have. They're the top. They, you know, one thing about players that I think people don't know or don't really think about is uh the typical the typical hangout mode for a player god i sound like such a fucking nerd um (laughs) they don't hang out with each other that's not their preference it will happen occasionally but that's not their preference they want to hang out with their own crew like an entourage uh where you've got the lead guy because they're top of they're top of the heap And their preferences are the preferences that get honored. Where are we going to dinner? Oh, it's where you want to go to dinner. Oh, who gets to talk to the hottest girl when we're at the nightclub? Oh, I guess it's you. If they hang out with one another, then uh, that's all confounded and it becomes complicated. So they're by and large in social situations where they're the man, where everybody's telling them that they're great. And if they have an issue, it's somebody else's fault. And yes, that's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It happens a lot uh with celebrities.
0: And and by the way, that's not too much different than the the world that is being created for all of us uh, at this point. Ooh, without, I love the steak. Well, I mean I think it it's so it's so interesting to see that whatever your worldview is, uh the way that the internet works is that not only do they surround you with your worldview and give you things that reaffirm what you believe, but it gets to a point when when you see something that is wrong, you think that either that that person is disingenuous or an idiot. Yes, right. Like like that. The other the other perspective is not only something that you disagree with, and I'm I don't live in some dream world where we should be able, where where people, you know where you disagree? And you're like, Ooh, that's an interesting opinion. Let me find (laughs) out more. Like that didn't even exist before the internet, but now that is always what I see is that when you see something different, that your opinion is either a lie, a trick, or you're a buffoon. And I think that their worlds, not, not different than rock stars or whatever are just curated to whatever they think they want. And, and so anyone who would, question how Russell Westbrook pl- plays like doesn't know ball, you know, is isn't, mm. <laughs> you know, and to I, bring it
1: I think, full circle to the doc rivers thing. Yeah. 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 Just somebody who's never played before. So why would they yeah. say that? But that That's a big point. And I do think, I mean, this might be getting way too thinky on this particular subject because I've, I've considered writing it. I wonder if one of the reasons why cities are falling apart recently it's not just an ideological question, but it's just how the digital reality is replacing the physical reality. And the more you're in your phone and the more you're curating a nice space for yourself, the less you really give a shit if it's actually falling apart in the tangible world. Hmm. And it's, it becomes, I do think you can reach a critical mass of apathy if you have enough people who are considering the curated digital reality, the actual reality? So, I do think that's a challenge for society beyond Russell Westbrook making poor basketball decisions.
0: Well, and I, because I was talking to a, a, actually a sponsor of one of our podcasts before, we were talking about what New York is like right now, and because he's not in New York, he mm-hmm. lives in L.A., his company is based in South Jersey. And he said, what is, New- I'm in New York every day. He's like, what's New York like, like right now? He said, because my friends that live in South Jersey because of COVID and the crime or whatever, they, they perceive New York as like a war zone right now. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's been quiet the last two weeks because of the holiday and because of COVID, but it just seems like New York to me. There's people mm. in restaurants, there's people walking around, there's people wearing masks all over the place, but it doesn't seem like that. But if you're, if you're a world- to your point about like this, this curated world about what it's, what it's like, I, I don't know that anybody even knows what places are like,
1: and that's so in Yeah, yeah, you know,
0: it's like, w- if if you were if you were not to go back, I'm sorry to keep going, but no, going no. To, so we, we talked to Ch- uh, a second Chuck Klosterman conversation, we, we had him on our podcast during the pandemic, and he lives in Portland now. And it was right when Right after the George Floyd stuff started, and there was a lot of discontent in Portland, like a lot of action there. And I remember Mike asking him, and if you were to look on the internet, Portland looked like like terrifying. And Mike asked Chuck, he was like, hey, how is it with all that stuff? He's like, be honest with you. He's like, I never see any of it. He was like, it's like this one little square little area uh, on this, it's on the other side of town. Like it didn't even exist to him and to everyone else in the country, like Portland looked terrifying. And to somebody Mm. in Portland that didn't even exist.
3: Yeah.
1: It's, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's, and then it becomes this weird argument where obviously having that kind of dysfunction downtown is bad and illustrative of a problem. But then you'll have people because they see it getting exaggerated and used in this kind of proxy culture war way, just in denial of the problem. Um, And I kind of see both sides of how you could view things because I now live in the hills and the woods and there is nothing like there is nothing around me that looks like it's an issue. But every day I drive into Berkeley and I just drive by massive shantytown encampments and i drive by people literally shitting in the street. And you know, you could probably I mean, the most extreme version to talk about Philly I, I see stuff out of uh it's Kensington Ave, is it? Is the uh yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like yeah. I'm sure that you could you could see that and then you could see part of Philly that would be idyllic. And obviously I don't even know how we got on this particular tangent, but there's just something very odd right now about the sense that you don't really know what any place is like and you're relying on competing narratives about yes. what places are like right now yeah
0: yeah and i i guess what i was saying could come off as i don't think these crime problems are real which they are real like the, of course they're real um i but i think the where they're happening and how they're happening and and what it's actually like to your original point about our the the digital our, our digital world shaping what we um what we you know what we think the real world is like or even if we need it i guess the the only thing i would say is that my digital world does not seem awesome <laughs> like like,
2: <laughs> yes everything,
0: everything seems like it's in chaos i wish i could take a break from it it's it i love my job i my i, I love what i do for a living the one incredible negative is that I I have to be embedded in the internet, and I think it is like the if there's one thing in my life that gives me high levels of anxiety and uh, confusion and and all those things, it's the it's the internet.
1: Yeah, it's not going to I don't think supplant. The real world in terms it's going to be an empty calorie situation and I don't want to discount whatever the metaverse is my neighbor was talking to me about the metaverse recently and hey I'm intrigued but it is my intuition that whatever we create might be appealing to the kind of person who creates it but it's not going to be broadly fulfilling or nearly as fulfilling as going on a hike in the woods that's just my sense that's my intuition Prepare to call me a luddite if twenty years from now we're all having a great time in the metaverse and we're so happy that we left uh that we left this prosaic world behind um but yeah i yeah that is that is there is something to that i mean I could go bill i could go so many directions with that and maybe we will I, in the future
0: i i hope i hope that the metaverse is the step too far that that like I, I remember around Christmas time, I was driving, we were back in Philadelphia, and we drove by some area, or, and my wife and I, and it was where I used to play outside, and I was like, fuck, man, playing outside was the shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we would we just, like, four of us would play football. How do you play football
1: with four people for two and a half hours when you're a kid? It was the shit, man, and I just the metaverse. Such... It, there is such a powerful want for nostalgia from people yeah. who grew up in the 90s or around in the 90s right now, I think, because the 90s were not perfect, but comparatively, uh, comparatively a halcyon age. I feel like I could just be a hack comedian when comedy clubs are, are up and running and there's no variant around just going hey you remember the and i could just bring up a 90s thing and the <laughs> yeah. crowd just warmly responds yep yep i felt that remember way. the game <laughs> twister remember twister yeah.
0: <laughs> we we went to go see uh, we went to go see ghostbusters the other day and i uh, i said to my wife i was like hey do you remember when the, after ghostbusters came out there was a, a second ghostbusters cartoon <laughs> It was like different Ghostbusters, and she, I was like, "Man, that was great." She was like, "Was it any good?" I was like, "I had, I have no idea." Uh, but, but I love thinking about the existence of it. I love remembering its existence.
1: Oh man, I just told my wife that the cartoon Doug uh, started 30 years from now, and she was shocked, horrified, and scandalized. So I leave you guys with that, with that thought. Um, thanks so much for stopping by, Spike. You were great. We have to have you back in the future uh big thank you to everybody. What do you want to plug? I have a sense of what you want to plug in the way out Spike, but what is it
0: oh, I want to plug the house of strauss uh, yes. uh, podcast and newsletter um, I, look if there's anybody from New York, listen to w f a m if they are uh if you're not oh, yeah. in New york uh listen to c b s sports radio and if you like a podcast that is uh, on some level about the Philadelphia 76ers. Listen to the rights to Ricky Sanchez. So
1: that's right. Boom. Want. Boom. Got to have you back. Thanks to everybody. Tomorrow we will be having sports TV expert from the New York Post, Ryan glass back on to talk about pertinent issues. Stay safe, everybody. Until next time.